Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. A lot of stories to talk about today. The border. You don't hear as much about it nowadays, but the situation down there is still bad and it's still causing a lot of problems. We'll shine the spotlight on it coming up. Plus, we'll have team coverage of the state legislative session that just wrapped up and a new milk processing plant that's being built in Amarillo. My name's Carrie Martin. I'm part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Some good news for the Texas High Plains dairy industry as a new manufacturing plant is coming to Amarillo. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. When you fertilize according to soil test recommendations, harvest the forage at the appropriate stage of maturity, and carefully cure and bale your hay, it ends up being an expensive commodity worth protecting from the elements. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Farm bureaus throughout the nation have signed on to a letter to top Biden administration officials asking them to recognize the border crisis and take swift action to help farm and ranch families impacted by the surge of illegal immigration. Texas Farm Bureau spearheaded the effort and has secured the support of 49 other state farm bureaus, the Puerto Rican Farm Bureau, and the American Farm Bureau Federation. South Texas farmer and Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Baining says it's encouraging to get that much support from across the nation. We're very grateful for that, the four border states that initiated this, and I think it sends a message that people recognize there's a problem. I think people recognize that it's not a partisan issue. It's a humanitarian issue for the folks that are actually being exploited, that are coming over many times, you know, by human traffickers, by drug traffickers. So I think it sends the message that, hey, folks, we need to address this and let's not make it a partisan issue. Let's make it what it really is, a humanitarian issue. And just the fact that all the Farm Bureau signed on and we're very grateful for that. And I think everybody recognizes that it is a crisis. Baining says it's an effort to get the administration to address what has become a very dangerous situation for farmers and ranchers, both on the border and throughout the country. We sent it to the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. We sent it to uh, Secretary Tom Vilsack at the Department of Agriculture and to uh, Secretary Deb Halen at the uh, Department of Interior. So those three, those three departments within the administration. We uh, uh, just kind of addressed the issue of the surge at the border. Uh, um, some of some things that that we're hearing from our from our farm bureau members, um, you know, things that are happening on their places, you know, on their ranches, on their farms, uh, in their communities. Um, we just pointed out the stuff that's happening. There's damage to crops, damage to fences, and other types of things. Uh, they're seeing more folks moving through uh, their property. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, they're, they're actually finding, you know, people maybe in 
one of their remote barns, you know, spending the night. There's property damage. There's safety issues. People that live out there maybe have children that play outside or even folks that work outside. So we shared that. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's not saying we have all the answers. We don't probably, but basically just shared our concerns that we're hearing from our members and asking for some assistance. We're hearing from our local and state law enforcement that their resources are being basically overwhelmed because they're dealing with this and not being able to do your regular law enforcement work. Uh, uh, that's just a day-to-day thing. Um, so it's just it's 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 kind of a lot of different avenues that are that are being that are, that are being affected. And Baining says while he doesn't have all the answers, what's happening now clearly is not working. The administration needs to address it and needs to help with the situation. When these folks just come over unabated, and then basically what we're hearing, many of them are processed and released. I think we're encouraging it that way. And like I said, the administration just needs to address it and Congress needs to work with them. There's different ways of doing it. What's happening right now is not working. Uh, So we, we have to look at it in a different way for sure. Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Boehning. The state legislative session wrapped up last weekend, and it was a successful session for agriculture. Tom Nicoletti goes to Austin to get a wrap up on the session. My guest today from Austin is Texas Farm Bureau State Legislative Director Charlie Leal. And Charlie, before we go into those critical issues for farmers and ranchers, various news outlets, including the Texas Tribune, are reporting that there will be two special sessions of the Texas legislature later this year to address unfinished business. But the just concluded 87th regular session was certainly uh, very good for uh, farmers and ranchers across the state. And let's talk about uh, top of the list, uh, the eminent domain issue, Charlie. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, HB 2730 was uh, the marquee eminent domain bill this session, and that was authored by Representative Joe Desitel out of Beaumont, and a joint author to that was Representative Dwayne Burns from Cleburne. And, and on the Senate side, the sponsor was Senator Lois Colcourst. Senator Colcourst and Representative Burns both have long been a champion for private property rights and agriculture. And this represents six years of their work. And most recently, uh, Representative Joe Desitel, his leadership on this issue this session proved uh, to be very effective. And we were able to get this bill across uh, the the initial uh, preliminary approval of both the House, House and Senate. It'll now go to the governor. Um, you know, the bill is, is, is good for landowners, makes uh, the process more fair and transparent, uh, requiring the landowner to get an initial offer where, it, where whether it's clear or not uh, that it includes damages to the remainder, uh, requiring the landowner to to get an easement agreement with standard terms, uh, improves landowner bill of rights that that landowners will get before the initial offer, uh, and it also creates a penalty for for land agents that act um, unethically and provide lowball offers to landowners. On farm animal liability, there was legislation that was approved by the legislature that uh, certainly is important? Absolutely. HB 365, that's the Farm Animal Liability Expansion Bill, and that would provide farmers and ranchers uh, with livestock, with liability protections that were already provided in statute for agritourism events, livestock shows, rodeos, etc. But this would also 
expand that liability protection uh, to those livestock owners uh, on their private property as well. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's a new milk processing plant being built in Amarillo, and it's a big boost for the panhandle dairy industry. James Hunt has the story. At the groundbreaking ceremony for the Cacique Milk Processing Plant, CEO Gil D. Cardenas told me a little about the company. We are a Hispanic-style cheese, cream, and chorizo manufacturer under the brand of Cacique. You'll find us in about 7 out of 10 stores in the U.S. We currently ship from L.A. to Boston, everything in between. Cacique is based in Southern California, and the Amarillo plant scheduled to open in the fall of 2022 will be the company's first in Texas. The $88 million facility will ultimately provide about 200 jobs, but beyond that, it will also represent another buyer for the milk produced by our region's dairy industry, the presence of which, of course, helped make Amarillo attractive to the company. We're not going to have cows on premise. We'll buy milk from local dairies that are outside the city. Now, what do local dairymen need to do to begin a relationship with Cacique? De Cardenas said, We will be reaching out to them shortly. One local dairyman who attended the groundbreaking was Mike Scouten, who is president of the dairy cooperative known as Lone Star Milk Producers. Scouten says the arrival of Cacique is a very positive development. Anytime we bring manufacturing to the Texas Panhandle, it is another boost to the entire industry. As people know, there's only so much that can go into fluid milk, and manufacturing is the second leg after fluid milk and certainly cheese is a big part of that. Cacique's move into Amarillo is being facilitated by economic development assistance from state and local government and Kevin Carter president and CEO of the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation says the interest for similar projects in the future is certainly there. We just see Amarillo as a hub for food processing. We have the raw material here so let's capitalize on what we have and help our local producers that are producing that. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We spend a lot of money producing hay, so it can be worth it to protect that hay from the elements. Dr. Vanessa Olson explains from East Texas. Barn storage is usually considered to be a consistently highly effective method of storing hay. When the typical dry matter storage loss of dry hay during inside storage is 5%, compared to the 30% or more common with hay stored outside, it isn't difficult to see that reduced losses can often provide payback on barn construction within a few years. Hay that is stored outside can lose significant dry matter and nutritive value in a relatively short time. Even a four-inch band on the outer surface of a six-foot diameter round bell can represent a 21% loss of dry matter and nutritive value. Typically, hay bales stored outside for several months develop at least five or six inches of outer surface that has no feed value and that animals will refuse. Data suggests that often 50% or more of the storage losses associated with outside storage occur at the bottom of the bale. Dry hay touching damp soil draws moisture into the bale. If hay and soil are in contact, large weathering losses occur on the bottoms of the bales even when they are stored on a well-drained site. Round bells can be stored outside, but losses will be significant compared to storage under a roof. To reduce losses, hay can be stored under tarps specifically designed for this task. Direct hay to soil contact should be minimized with items that do not trap and hold water. For example, telephone posts, scrap pipe, and cross ties have all been successfully used in hay storage. 
When round hay bales are stored in the field, they should be stored in rows with the flat ends of the bales together to minimize exposure to the elements. The rows should be stored on a well-drained slope running north and south to maximize east-west sun exposure and help dry them after rain. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. West Nile virus isn't in the news all the time like it was 20 years ago, but that doesn't mean it's gone away. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. You don't hear much about West Nile virus nowadays, but that doesn't mean that it's not still around. In fact, it's here to stay. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. West Nile was first diagnosed in horses in this country in 1999. Since then, thousands of cases have been reported with a 30 to 40 percent death rate. The disease is now endemic in this country, meaning it is here to stay, and we should not think that the disease is no longer a problem. West Nile is transmitted by mosquitoes, and the incubation period from a bite to symptoms is 3 to 15 days. Horses can show many different symptoms, including fever, wobbling when walking, depression, behavioral changes, and partial paralysis. Also, some horses will develop muscle twitches and muscle fasciculations, which are very common in my experience, tremors of the muzzle, difficulty rising, and seizures. And some of these horses that recover may have some residual signs of gait or behavioral abnormalities. Prevention of this disease centers around mosquito control and vaccination. And although mosquito control is a good idea, it will not prevent mosquito exposure. So vaccination is critical to prevent West Nile infection in your horses. There are several different vaccines approved for West Nile, but all require a two-dose initial series one month apart and then at least an annual vaccine. I usually vaccinate our patients twice a year, especially if they have not been vaccinated in June or July, because the early fall seems to be the most likely time for West Nile infection, and we want them to have a high antibody level at that point. And although some owners administer their own vaccines, it's a good idea to have your veterinarian examine your horses anyway, at least once a year, and give these vaccines. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are some big prizes up for grabs for Texas anglers. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. There are still plenty of opportunities for Texas anglers to get their hands on a new boat, truck, or ATV. According to the Coastal Conservation Association of Texas, or CCA Texas, one tagged redfish has already been caught in the organization's annual star fishing tournament. Unfortunately, though, the angler who caught the fish was not registered for the tournament, so he missed out on a $30,000 college scholarship. The angler released the tagged fish back into the water to give another angler a chance to catch it and possibly win one of the tournament prizes. 
Dylan Sassman, assistant star director, encourages anglers to register for the tournament ASAP to avoid missing out on a truck and boat package, a boat, UTV, or other prize. $60 is the cheapest insurance you'll ever buy. The fishing tournament is a membership drive for CCA Texas, which works to conserve, promote, and enhance coastal resources. We recently helped the Sea Center in Lake Jackson get some new grow-out ponds back online. We were just in Sabine Lake area dumping more reefing material into the water to help the ecosystem. We're doing a lot of different habitat projects you can find on ccatexas.org. Any major port you go out of in Texas, we've got a nearshore reefing project somewhere close to you, and then countless inshore projects, you know, anything from building oyster reefs to grass plantings. This year's Star Inshore Division is mandatory release only due to losses sustained during Winter Storm Uri. A video explaining how to remove a Star Tournament tag from a tagged fish is available on the CCA Texas Facebook page. You can register, see the leaderboard, rules, and prizes at startournament.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We wrapped up a crazy week in the markets on Friday. So just how did things shake out for the week? Jessica will be back with a complete look at the markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Higher corn, wheat, and soybean prices continue to weigh on the cattle markets. August live cattle Friday closed down 45 cents to 118.07. October live cattle down 60 cents to 124.05. Feeder prices also fell on Friday. August feeder cattle down $3.02 to 149.92. September feeder cattle down 275 to 152.75. October feeder cattle down $2.42 to 154.95. Box beef demand and prices remain strong. Choice was down $1.05 Friday to $339.50. Select was down $0.16 to $313. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear cattle in the alleyway, that means we're in the hill country and we had a cattle sale with Wayne and Sean Geiswat, Gillespie Livestock. Wayne, talk to us about it. How did it go? Well, we had a shortened sale today, 452 head. Cow market's probably a dollar or two higher, so lots of cows in the 70s. Uh, you know, it's just quite active on all the cows. Bulls up to a buck. Uh, calf market, after what had happened yesterday and all, I was really worried about what was going to happen today. It ended up being good. I called it steady to strong. Still saw some of those better seven-weight steers up in the low 140s. Six weights so right at 160, and five weights in the 170s, four weights in the 180s, and a few three weights bring over $2. Uh, Heifer mates, uh, five weights kind of up in the low 140s. 
six weights, low 130s. And your four weights kind of into the 150s. So, like I say, we were really happy with it. Quality wasn't quite as good as last week. And some of my quotes weren't not quite be as high. But as a whole, I sure call the market stayed strong. Any way to guess what we'll have next week? I guess it just depends on this weather, Larry. Uh, got a lot of cattle lined up for next week. I was supposed to be in here this week, so I guess it just depends whether the weather we're able to get the cattle out or not. Right, right. Depends on whether it's dust or mud, then. That's right. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Wayne Guys White. Larry, we're at 830-997-4394. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Y'all have fun in Nashville. You bet. Thank you. And thank you, Wayne Guys White, Gillespie Livestock, Sheep and Goats Tuesday, Cattle Wednesday. I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host. Good day to you. Lean hogs ended the day higher on Friday. Lean hogs for June up 12 cents to 119.50. Lean hogs for July up $1.60 to 120.60. Barrel cheese prices rose on Friday, and that did provide some support to milk prices. Class 3 milk for July ended the day Friday up 9 cents to 17.94 a hundredweight. Strong exports and sales of U.S. cotton drove prices higher on Friday. October cotton was up 75 points Friday to 85.93. December cotton up 84 points to 85.88. Last week's sales and shipments of cotton were higher than the week before, and there was a very positive export sales report. Hard red winter wheat for September up 11 and a half Friday to 643 and three quarters. Soybeans for July up 34 and a half to 1583 and three quarters. Soybeans for November up 32 to 1435 and a half. Solid export demand and drought in some corn growing areas pushed prices higher on Friday. Corn for July up 20 and three quarters to 682 and three quarters. Corn for September up 24 and a quarter to 606 and a half. Corn for December up 25 to 591 and a half. Natural gas for August up 5 cents to 311. Crude oil for July up 73 cents to 69.54. Crude oil for August up 70 cents to 69.30 a barrel. Now let's look at our financial markets. The Dow Jones was up 168 points on Friday to 34,746. The S&P 500 was up 36 points to 4,229. And the NASDAQ was up 194 points to 13,809. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.